this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Ride Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Except that's not what we're doing this week, but that's what we normally do, so we will leave it in the read anyway. This is episode 241, recording on Thursday, no, Friday, December 22nd. (laughs) It's all going sideways already. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. I just said we're getting ready to record. It feels like the last day of the year, even though we've got nine days left. I'm not sure the last time we had like a Friday before a Monday Christmas when like everyone is peeling out. Like everyone's just gone. Yep. It's just, it's been quiet around the office. I've been out for a couple of days for a birthday thing. So I did like, I, I am in and out today of like catching up and preparing to be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's weird because you... We worked Monday, we're off three days, and came back Friday, yep. the week before mm-hmm. Christmas. That's what we call an employment whiplash. You, you, you're going to get that coming That's up true. There. We're doing a different show. Have we ever done one like this before? I know I we've talked so. about we've done doing like, it before. but We did like an after dark thing right. where uh, when Mad Men ended, and we right. did like a... I think we did like an hour on Mad Men when it was over, but we haven't ever just done a variety show about like other stuff we liked this year. You know, the way the holidays fell this year... Um, that we have a basically a Christmas Eve show to go out. And as we're saying, everyone's peeling out, and no one peels out faster than publishing. So this year is, uh, I used to joke, like, I, you know, I thought it was going to be a slow news week. It wasn't. This one it was. There's really nothing coming out. Um, so we had planned, actually, to record this last week because of bits and bobs of reasons and stuff happens. We're not getting it till today. But we're talking about some of our favorite stuff from 2017 that's not books. It might it might be book related, but we're not talking about books. And then we're going to do a little Dan Brown origin talk at the end of the show. So spoiler alerts for that. Once we start talking again about Dan Brown, the first time you hear the words Dan or Brown or origin or AI or Langdon or Mickey Mouse, and you haven't read the book and you don't want to be spoiled, get out. I'm not going to warn you. It's on. It's, you're on your your own Christmas recognizance um, to get out of here. So. Uh, before we do that, let me take our let's do our first sponsor because we do have sponsors mm-hmm. as we do. Um, breathing books we've talked about them a few times. So the book is "Reckless: The Petrified Flesh" uh, by Cornelia Funka. It's the first book in her fantasy series putting a dark twist on classic fairy tales. It follows talented treasure hunter Jacob Reckless and his shape shifting companion Fox through their adventures in a magic filled pre industrial revolution era world. I guess he has to say my last name is Reckless rather than my my middle name is Reckless. That's a, that's a spin. You know, it, like it says, a spin on a classic uh, trope there. It's great for readers who love rich young adult and new adult fantasy. Brings all of her lush world building skill to a new fantasy series, ideal for the now grown readers of her earlier stories. And she's also the author of popular middle grade book, uh, the middle grade book Inkheart as well as The Wild Chicks, which Breathing Books will begin publishing in the U.S. in the spring of 2018. If you want to find out more about Reckless, the petrified flesh, Reckless, colon, it's uh, the actual symbol, not the word colon. Reckless colon would be a terrible title. Uh, (laughs) Reckless colon, the petrified flesh, go to www.breathing-books.com. Again, hyphen not spelled out, the symbol, 
for more information. You know, it's going to be that kind of show, Rebecca. I don't know what to tell you. I can tell. <laughs> it is. So we, we didn't talk about structure. We have no idea what we're going to pick. Uh, uh, well, I have one idea what I'm going to We don't know. Yeah. We, 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 each of us we, has a us list, but we, we don't know what the other one's going to do. So we're just going to go take turns. So yeah. you want to go first, and then I guess I'll pick if I have something on my list related to it. I can We can kind of do thematic draft. Sure. Yeah, so this book. is stuff that's not books that we loved this year, but yes. it's not necessarily stuff that was new this year, right? New to us. New to us. New to us. New to us. Okay. Well, we can do it. Um, it's our show. We can do it. Yeah. I right? did new to me. New to me is what I did. That's what I did, too, and because okay. I had a moment of like, we didn't specify, and no. new to me is what matters. So I think the undeniable, at least verified by the analytics of my phone obsession that I had this year was the Leon Bridges album, Coming Home. <laughs> <laughs> um, I he It came out in 2015, but I discovered it in like the very early part of 2017. Um, he is like a 28-year-old soul singer. The album came out when he was 26. And I was in a yoga class, the very last track on the album is called River and the teacher was playing it at the at the end I was like what was that but it was like I am a deep uh, and long time listener of soul music and Motown and I was having this moment of like that is a gorgeous song and how is it possible that like in my decades of listening to soul music I've never heard this and because it, it sounds like it's old and he was like oh it's this guy Leon Bridges the album's called Coming Home and so I came home and looked it up on Spotify and was like oh He's like 27. Mm. Like this guy, I thought it was like someone who has been, you know, like long dead. Um, but he's this young guy with this old sound. And it's just like the album is just perfect from top to bottom. It's really fun. And there are some dancey points. Uh, and then it gets a little slower to the end. And I think River is just a beautiful song um, that wraps it up. But I listened to that. Like, I just lived in that album for probably the first three months mm. of the year. And um, when Spotify did the end of year stats that they do that we got <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, like, and I share my Spotify account with Bob. So sometimes like our our shared or separate obsessions skew the end of year data one way or the other. Um, but like all five of the songs that were listened to the most in our, all five of the top five songs in our account this year were from that album. Cool. Um, I can't even like, I can't even begin to guess how many times I listened to it sometimes just on repeat all day long, which is unusual for me. So that that's is my first, yeah, that's my first. Um... I only have one music thing. On oh, my, really? Um, so I'll, I guess I'll do that first. So I, I've also discovered a new band this year. Um, this one's called the Hot Sardines. And they are a, swing is wrong. They're kind of like, you know, a it, it's a new, they're an extant band. These are all living, young people living in New York. But they've got a great lead singer. They do kind of like Paris, you know, 20s Paris Cabaret is the mm. influence. So they do a lot of jazz covers, some swing but like then, then cafe cabaret music. Um, I discovered them because also kind of a Spotify related thing. I have a very fussily curated Christmas playlist <laughs> that becomes our our December playlist basically for the year, and um, I'm very particular about it. Don't at me. Um, but I like to add something new every year at least. So I'm trolling around, and I've got and I try to find covers of Christmas songs that I like. Um, I like the song, and this one I discovered of theirs is they do a cover of Mistletoe and Holly, the canonical version of which is a warm but cheesy and I don't want to listen to it version by Burl Ives. So I've never had a good version of Mistletoe and Holly and I found one it's great but they also have great covers of by Mir uh, Bistu Shane which is a you know a classic sort of early jazz hit. They've got a great cover of Comes Love. Um so go check out the Hot Sp Sardines on Spotify especially. You may not like it but if if you're like me 
you like jazz and, and early jazz. It's a nice contemporary spin. It feels modern, but also a throwback and very much in my wheelhouse. So that's, that's my music-related pick, Hot Sardines. Yeah. I went down a hot sardines rabbit hole last oh, week you after, did? You, after you, you shared say? that. I like it. Yeah, I mean, like okay. we have we have solid overlap um, yeah. in our musical taste. I don't know if our listeners know that, but like that we once spent an afternoon harmonizing to awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Oh yeah, we both like Sinatra. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we we both have. Uh, we both There's have like a, a lot of jazzy, like jazzy yeah. standards, Motown soul kind of stuff mm-hmm. in our shared wheelhouse. Um, so yeah, I guess I really we'll like link to some sardines. of the stuff in the show notes as we can. I'll link to you. And everything. If, so yeah, I'm taking little notes here else. in our document as we yeah. go. Um, I had another musical obsession this year. And All right, was, go for it. This was really surprising to me because I have not historically been a fan of Kesha. But when every woman in my life was like, oh my God, the new Kesha album, I finally gave in a couple of weeks after it came out. Um, it's called Rainbow and Man. That ish is good. It's not mm. like this is not the Kesha that you know. This is like a quieter, ragier, um, but also like more zen somehow at the same time, Kesha. And it's just the album has so much range. There are like some power ballads. There are some rock songs. Um, but there is a great country number that she does with Dolly Parton called Old Flames Can't Hold a Candle mm. to You. Um, it's just... It's just great. Um, I also love it from front to back, and those showed up uh, in some of my Spotify end-of-year stats. But a couple weeks ago, I was like roasting a chicken and rocking out to Kesha, and Bob was like, did you ever think that this is what you were going to be at at 35? Like (laughs) roasting a chicken and just belting out Kesha power ballads. Mm. And it's just, it's great. Uh, There's a great girl power song uh, called Woman on it that has the Dap Kings playing horns, Mm. uh, who used to play with Sharon, um, Sharon Jones. So that's a nice crossover for me too but man i just love that kesha album this year can i dwell a minute longer in our shelled wheelhouse for my next oh yeah um my my caveat here is i still got two episodes left michelle and i still have two episodes left i don't know if you know where i'm going with this halt and catch fire season four i have two episodes left too oh you do for real i thought you okay Uh anyway um i'm sufficiently pleased with the season that i'm going to add it to my list even though i haven't seen the end in, in a way, and I don't know if it's just that we've spent so much time with the characters at this point. So if, for those of you who don't know, Halt and Catch Fire, AMC show, and basically following a group of characters who got in on the early days of, well, the early modern days of the digital era. So basically starting in the early 80s, doing hardware at an IBM-like company called Cardiff Electric, going through a series of um, you know other kinds of technology companies. Um, and now we're all the way up to basically a Google slash Yahoo fight with the different companies, but they have, you know, different art names. But man, it's good. It's so thoughtful and it's so beautifully shot. Um, especially this season seems even more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of interesting stuff about work. It's also messy. Um, also for a show that's about technology, there is a version of this show that's just all dudes, but it's not. There's a lot of interesting women who are just interesting on their own, but also interesting about their role as women in a dude-heavy field. Um, this season, the, the children of one of the characters were brought to the fore in a way that mm-hmm. really worked. And usually I don't like that move, um, even though I like children and have some of my own even. <laughs> um, when we, you're following the season and suddenly you care about the, the character's kids when you haven't for three years, really, always feels like a forced move. But this time it really worked. Um, so I don't know, like... 
you and I both love Mad Men. It's not Mad Men, but it scratches a lot of the same itches, um, even though its aesthetic and sensibility is quite a bit different. I, I really like it. I'm going to miss Hall and Catch Fire. Me terribly. too. Yeah. I think the arc of the show has been so interesting. Like there are frequently year like year or multi-year yes, gaps between right. seasons. And what starts off as a, like the first season I loved, but it, I was watching the first season of it while I was, I think watching the first season of Silicon Valley or like mm. in the same year. And it feels like it could kind of be a prequel of like a couple decades before Silicon Valley existed. Right. Here's like what mostly guys were doing in warehouses, tinkering around or in their garages, tinkering around with technology. And I love that, like imagining the beginning of technology and this dwell, like this show dwells fully in that area of interesting messes that we both do really like. But as it moves forward, it becomes like, it does become about so much more like the, the families mm-hmm. and the relationships and like everything is tangly. The women are really, really interesting and they're so aware of the position that they occupy as women in technology in the 80s and the early 90s. Um, and then in how that changes the dynamics of their interpersonal relationships. And I just, man, like the the episode that I just, that I most recently watched, the third to last one of the season just did me in for a couple of weeks. Mm. And I also don't want to say goodbye to this show. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm holding on probably by the time this airs, I yeah. will have put myself in a blanket fort and said goodbye to it. But I love halting. I just love halting catch fire. You know, the other thing that occurs to me now that you were talking is it's a, not, it's a show that's not going to overstay its welcome. I right. mean, it's four seasons and you know, I can't think of the last show that I watched that was few this few but also intentionally like they didn't get canceled or something like yeah, that they and it doesn't jump the seasons. shark ever yeah yeah there it wasn't doesn't a feel weak like, season like even mad men which i like you know seasons five and six it felt long in the tooth like it felt like it was we're getting ready to wrap up and by the time we got to the end you know even if you didn't love the end of mad men it was interesting and, and you know i felt like it was true to the show but it took some effort to get there and a lot of the mm-hmm. shows that you know a lot of my favorite shows of all time like you know the wire or mad men or the west wing or even parks and rec which i've yeah. watched probably more episodes of than there was there's like a late there's sort of a, a baroque period before yeah. the last season you're like you know what and I, I think as much as i love this show it's time to go and i'm gonna leave halt and catch fire not really having kind of a weak stretch, I don't think, which is yeah, there's not inf- one. super fascinating um, too. So yeah, I think anyway. even the like kind of side characters are fully fleshed out on yeah. Halt and Catch Fire and they just do a lot of, it. like they set it also in that world. It's not just a show about technology. Like mm-hmm. you're in the late eighties, you're in the early nineties and some different social ideas are happening around like marriage and sexuality and some yeah. of the characters introduce those things as you know, as like side plots, um, but it fully occupies that world that they live in. And I think it's a interesting, especially Joe McMillan, like the sort of visionary Steve Jobsy yeah. kind of guy. Um, he's like a, a combination of like a Steve Jobs character and that main character of um, American Psycho, but without like the oh. true Psycho. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? interesting. I think like you get this he's... like genius who will do. He has like a Machiavellian point. Um, it's, the other thing, ahead, and I don't sorry. want to spoil it too much, I was going to say is like the other thing that the show pulls off, a couple things that are related, I think, that other shows don't, is that the characters change. The main four characters do change over the course of shows in ways that are believable, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, you know, we're talking about Joe, and I don't want to spoil the He's not the same guy at the end that he starts out as, um, 
And I don't know if they did that on purpose or they were tweaking the character like a Leslie Nope situation or a Ron Swanson where like that wasn't quite right or they really wanted to show a different kind of of progress there. And also the, the show changes, as you mentioned, big jumps in time, but also they're in different locations. Like the whole yeah. show moves from Texas to California at some point that I guess I'm, I don't know what's a spoiler and what's not, but like, which is also very rare for mm-hmm. a TV show. Just it can take up a whole different kind of, and the characters find themselves in radically different positions and it holds up. So I guess we have enough, we could have thought about doing a 30 minute halt and catch fire uh, <laughs> code as well. But and anyway, we, we, we better move on. But there's but yeah, there's Hot I had and Catch a, Fire. On my list of TV things that I loved this year was The Good Place, um, but which is starring Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Have you seen this? You know, I think I, think I want to, but I feel like once I start, I'm just going to want to watch them all. And there's a couple seasons, right? So I haven't been quite ready to like start a new show of late. Yeah, uh, there's not a – the seasons aren't super long. Um, yeah. And they're in the – like currently they're in the like mid-season break of season two. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually – you wouldn't actually have that much to catch up on. Okay. But I picked it up after after Liberty was like, it is hilarious and so smart and you would love it. And she was right. Everybody who recommended it to me was right. Um, and I needed a half-hour comedy in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kristen Bell plays a woman named – Eleanor something, Eleanor Strop, I think. Um, and it opens with her. She finds herself sitting in this like conference room and it says, everything's going to be fine on the wall or everything's going to be okay. And it, she's dead. And she finds out that she has been sent to the good place as opposed to the bad place. And the way that you get there is by racking up points, you know, for doing good things on earth or not getting negative points for doing bad things. But the catch is that Eleanor was a terrible person. <laughs> and she is mistakenly in the good place with. Uh, in the spot of someone else who had her same name, who was a really good person, uh, who like, you know, did a bunch of humanitarian things, uh, and who mistakenly ended up in the bad place. And so Eleanor's like whole mission in life is to not let them figure out that she shouldn't be there because she doesn't want to get kicked out and sent to the bad place. Um, And so she teams up with a friend she meets in the good place who was an ethicist in life. And he teaches like his cheaty, and he's going to teach her how to be an ethical person. Um, And then it just kind of goes on from there. Ted Danson is the architect of the neighborhood that they live in, in the good place. Um, The relationships between all the characters are really funny and interesting. The writing is so, so clever. Um, There are a million puns and the jokes are just great. And I love that for a major network, I think it airs on CBS for a 30 minute sitcom on a major network, the cast is really diverse in a way that's very organic. Like it's uncommented on, um, which is how it should be. But like the world of this good place looks like the actual world. It's not just a bunch of Mm. white people sitting around in heaven, which I also really appreciate. It's just so much fun. Um, There's a big surprise near the end of the first season. And then the second season runs with that and makes it even more creative. Like it's one of those setups that I wondered going into the second season, like, how are they going to pull this off? Um, and they just keep pulling it off. It's really delightful um, all the way around. So, All right, let me do another sponsor. I've got, a co- I've got a couple of TV-related things, um, but we'll do another sponsor. It's yeah. Jenny Moon. Jenny Moon, excuse me. G-I-N-N-Y Moon by Benjamin Ludwig. Meet Jenny Moon. She's mostly your average teenager. She plays flute in the school band. She has weekly basketball practice and reads Robert Frost poems and for English class. But Jenny is autistic, and so what's important to her might seem a bit different. It's full of great big-heartedness and unexpected humor. Uh, Ludwig's debut introduces this lovable, wholly original Jenny Moon who discovers a new meaning of family on her unconventional journey home. 
It's from the unique perspective of Jenny, who sees and understands the world differently as a girl with autism. It candidly takes readers into Jenny's curious mind, revealing a deeply human character. So it might be good for fans of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, um, Room uh, by Emma Donahue, and Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Simple. We're long looking for where do you go, Bernadette, mm-hmm. Rita like. So those of you with your antenna up uh, maybe just received a, a signal there. Um, Jenny has been in foster care for years, and for the first time in her life, she has found her, her quote-unquote forever home. After being traumatically taken from her abusive birth mother and moved around to different homes, she is finally in a place where she'll be safe and protected with a family who will love her. This is exactly the kind of home that all foster kids are hoping for, but Jenny has other plans. Jenny, she'll steal and lie and reach across her past to exploit the good intentions of those who love her, anything it takes to get back what's missing in her life. She'll even try to get herself kidnapped. So that's Jenny Moon, out in paperback from Park Row Books by Benjamin Ludwig. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring the show. My TV. Uh, Tell me your TV. So I'm not doing, so a lot of um, what we do these days is find stuff, try to find stuff that the kids and Michelle and I will like together, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm not going to do Rex just for kids. This is Rex for things I can bear or even enjoy with my children, God forbid. And by and far, the home run thing that our family enjoyed this year um, it was like it was like eight Super Bowls every week. Is Planet Earth two? It came out in January oh, of this year. Yep, but Co-sign. we did this subscri- we did this subscription um, through Apple iTunes, and so we got a new episode every time the one came out on BBC America, which happened to be Sunday. So for like, I think there's eight episodes, maybe seven. I'm not exactly sure, but for those six to eight weeks, every Sunday after dinner was Planet Earth night, and it was great. It, I mean, for those of you who don't know, it's the BBC's really unparalleled nature documentary series. There is a Planet Earth 1, which is also excellent. But Planet Earth 2, they're also using, first of all, they're shooting it in 4K, which looks beautiful. They're using some drones for camera stuff, so you're getting shots of things you've never seen before. They have cameras on the backs of animals or around animals or these remote-triggered motion sensor cameras to capture these crazy Tibetan snow leopards, which basically no one has ever seen before. Um, And they use heat. Uh, excuse me, infrared cameras at night in India to capture these sort of urban jaguar packs. Like the whole thing is amazing, um, beautiful, great with kids. If you have animal-loving kids, um, they'll love it. We, we'll go back and watch them over again kind of as, I don't know, kind of as a calming, like getting out of our <laughs> lives moment to go watch Planet Earth 2. But they're all great. I'm sure you can get them on uh, disc now. Um, Planet Earth, the Planet Earth One, I know you can get on Netflix, which if you haven't seen, it's just as good as Planet Earth Two. But uh, this gives me an excuse to talk about. But we love those together. So that's Planet Earth Two. Um, I'm going to do one more TV, then I'll throw it back to you. Um, I've I've been watching all the Marvel stuff basically <laughs> that that's <laughs> been on Netflix, that's been on the silver screen, even on some uh, regular cable. And I think of the TV things I've seen, this uh, 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 of all of it, going back, I guess, the original Daredevil Series 1 was the first of the Marvel Netflix shows. The Punisher this year, Season 1, I think is my favorite of all of the Netflix series we've seen. It stars John Bernthal as Frank Castle, who is the Punisher, um, who started out in this series, uh, in the Marvel Netflix universe, like he starts out, I believe, in the comics as a foil for uh, Matt Murdock's Daredevil. Um, but John Bernthal, who plays him, gives an unbelievable performance. It's like, if, if you're watching, uh, my, my pitch is, if you ever wanted to see a young De Niro play a superhero, 
that's what you get in Burnthal playing Frank Castle and Punisher season one. It's horribly violent, which I don't like. And there's a lot of guns, but there's even t- but there's, some of it is thinking about the gun usage and representations and things like that. Um, really great cast of characters, some surprises. Um, one of the great villains you're going to see out of a Marvel show. I mean, what's interesting about it is like it's more of an amped up kind of like crime show than it is a superhero show. Because um, Berndal doesn't really have superpowers, he's just the very best at what he is, which is a hyper, you know, Navy SEAL beret special force ops thing. Um, and it's beautiful and amazing and heart wrenching and some really good, uh, really good set pieces and action. Um, I think it's the best. I think it's the best I've seen. So if you if you if you've watched the other ones and you, I was skeptical, and then I saw some good early reviews. You know what? I like Berndal. He appeared in one of the other Daredevil ones. Michelle and I gave it a chance, and we were sucked in, and we 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 did it all in a week, and that's just what you want from a show like this. So that's the Punisher, uh, streaming now, in the, on Netflix. All right, you're up. <laughs> All right. Well, I second that emotion wholeheartedly for Planet Earth 2. Um, oh, good. Yes. Bob and I are perpetually on the search for like very soothing things to watch in the morning while we drink coffee and just like mm-hmm. ease our way into the world. Um, so Planet Earth 2 we've done. Um, the Smithsonian Channel makes something called Aerial America that's like drone shots over a usually a different state or sometimes things that are all on a certain theme together and that's very Mm. soothing um i've also binged through we i bought like all of the ones i could find on amazon of sunrise earth um which are not like these are not exciting enough for your kids like there aren't animals on them the way there are on planet earth too but if you're me and you just want to like drink your coffee in silence and look at something that's not your washington post alerts yet it's (laughs) it's like uh here's a buddhist temple in Tibet and the it starts when it's still dark or like just barely first light and you just watch for 30 minutes as the sun comes up like the sun comes up over this place and the birds start to wake up and their sounds and the wind is blowing and like whatever else is happening is happening there but they have them in a bunch of different settings and I find those to be lovely and very soothing as well um, cool so I recommend those um but my other TV obsession this year, or I had many, like I, I love television, um, but I loved Glow on Netflix. Mm. Um, the that Netflix was this series, year, wasn't it? Wow, yeah. It was. It came out this summer, and Glow stands for the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Uh, it's set in LA in the mid-80s, and it's with uh, it stars Alison Brie, who I also just really love uh, from Community and from Mad Men, and she is this struggling actress that gets cast in what is basically at the time, like the very first women's wrestling television event, or they're trying to make women's professional wrestling into a thing. And it's all these struggling actresses who like, this is the only job they can get. Mark Marin plays the like seedy guy who's directing the thing. Um, and Betty Gilpin, who um, I first really liked when she was on Nurse Jackie, plays uh, Alison Bree's character's best friend. And they're sort of at odds with each other, but the cast is just really funny and interesting and like very scrappy. There's this sort of feminism woven throughout it. Uh, Genji Kohan, who created weeds is one of the creators and producers of the show and like it's just a lot of fun to watch like it's the 80s and everyone looks ridiculous but there's so much heart uh, to what's going on behind the scenes while they're trying to pull together this women's wrestling thing it's just a a lot of fun if you're looking for something that you can watch 10 hours of over the holidays i think you could do a lot worse than glow glow okay i think i'm out of tv so i gotta go somewhere else um 
apps? Did you have favorite apps? I was going to say productivity. Should we do productivity? <laughs> I got a couple of productivity things. I know you're yeah. shocked. Uh, hmm, where do I want to go? You know, actually, I'm using it right now uh, on my iPad that I made notes on. So it's a it's a note taking app called Bear, like the like the animal, as opposed to like the naked. Um, and it is fantastic. It. Uh, it, it sounds dumb, but I've been looking for a note-taking app that I can sort of keep open that syncs between my phone, my iPad, and my computer. So basically, so I've got a weird problem. I mean, I think a lot of people might have a problem like this, is I work in a bunch of different locations on several different devices, and I'm looking at the internet, I'm having ideas, I see things I want to capture, someone says something to me, and where do I put all that stuff, right? I've tried a bunch of different things. I've tried the Notes app that's on my iPhone and on my Macs. I've tried... You know, I have a Field Notes brand notebook that I keep in my pocket, but if I'm on my laptop, it seems dumb to like stand up and go get it or wherever else it is. Bear syncs between all of them. Um, I think you have to do the the eleven dollars for the year to do that. But the thing I really like about Bear, well, there's really two things. One is beautiful. It's a beautiful app. It looks like a native Mac app. It's really clean. Um, you know, the UI is really beautiful. But the the organizational is basically you use your own internal hashtags and it creates auto folders and groupings. And so you just like, if I'm writing a thing about, let's say I was doing, I did the notes for this show and I did hashtag podcast and I did hashtag um, tech and hashtag uh, merchandise, which is some things I have for, and like, so if I don't exactly remember where a particular note is, if I just look at the hashtags for that, I can go find it, and it groups them together really beautiful, really easy, quick capture. It's easy to drop in links. So if you drop in a link, for example, it gives you, it auto-shrinks to a linked title of that page rather than just the long-ass URL, which no one can remember. What was that link? And you have to click on it, whatever. Easy to import images and video and anything else you might have. It's really a really great, it's like a junk drawer that is auto-organizes mm. for your mind. So there you go. There's like my pitch for Bear. I really like it. It's it's really good so far. Um, now, again, my pattern with these things is to do them for a few months, and then I get dissatisfied and I want some other setup. And I've sort of – I've passed the meridian of that of that cycle for me with Bear. Like, I've used it long enough that it, maybe it'll stick a little bit longer. So that's Bear. Go check. It's in the App Store. I don't know if there's Windows or Chrome apps or whatever else people do, but um, it's on the Mac and all the attendant iOS devices. I'm going to get that – Immediately, <laughs> yeah, I might, I'd be curious to see. It might be a little too free form for you. I'd be curious to hear what you think about it. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a sandbox note taking app where you can you yeah. kind of make up your rules with it. Yeah, you know the thing that I have been wanting in note taking is like I think my work note taking is pretty. I feel pretty good about my work related note taking. Yeah. But I have these like I have a million journals laying around my house that each have like four quotes written in them from books I've read mm. or from like, there's like one that's just a journal journal. And then there's one that's like a yoga related journal that has like the quotes related to meditation. And sometimes the things overlap and I just don't use physical journals routinely. So I, it's like, you know, I write in them for 20 you know, 20 entries and then I stop. And I feel like if I had a digital thing that I could just collect quotes and hashtag, yeah. like this is related to creativity and mindfulness, and this is related to um, kindness and meditation, mm -hmm. I'd be able to pull stuff up that I, that I wanted. So I'm going to probably use it for not work work, but sounds great. Yeah. That's um, good. I kind of took the year off of new productivity apps. Um, 
I, I know a lot of people do a thing each, like at the beginning of each year or at the end looking forward where they set a word for the year. And so at the end of 2016, which was just a complete garbage fire in like so many ways, I was like, you know what? My word for 2017 is going to be sit. And I was like, I'm just going to try to be still and like do things, but not make a bunch of extra systems. So I didn't do a lot of new creativity things, but in the world of technology, I really fell hard um, for the Calm app, which is a meditation and mindfulness app. It's kind of like Headspace if you've done that, but I think this one's a little more, it's a little more freeform. It has a lot more options and it's cheaper. It's only $5 a month, which I think is completely worth it for something that uh, for me really contributes to just my general sanity. Um, but they, it updates with a new meditation, a new 10-minute meditation every day, if that's a thing that you want to do, or it has a ton of different themed options and some customizable, like, oh, you just want to sit in silence for 20 minutes, this bell will ring when you're done. Like, lots and lots of choices. It has a tracker that shows you, you know, how many days out of the last month you've meditated, what your longest streak is, but it's not quite as gamified as Headspace, um, which if you're not familiar with Headspace, it's sort of Headspace is like, get get on a streak, you know, go as many days as you can go. And then it gives you little trophies if you go like five days in a row, and then 10 days in a row, and then 30 days in a row. And I am not motivated by gamified stuff. It like just doesn't work on me. Um, so I needed something that was going to be more of just like, here's a thing you can use in a way that is applicable to your life. Um, it also has sleep stories. Like this is actually the thing that I really love um, is that when I'm traveling, I have a harder time sleeping. And as you know, from last week's episode, I need to sleep approximately 22 hours a day. <laughs> um, so it has these sleep stories that like some of them are just old like folk tales. Um, some of them are like selections from John Weir's nature writings. And then some is new fiction that's written specifically to make you fall asleep that are performed by people who have very calming voices. And so you can set like, I'll take this one for 20 minutes or this other story that's 60 minutes long um, and just listen to those. And it inevitably makes me fall asleep. So that's been a real like life changer for me with travel of not having to like do the melatonin, mm. uh, like stand on my head, sacrifice a chicken, hope I fall asleep when I want to. Um, those sleep stories have really helped. So I love I love the call map. That's been great. Um, yeah. And related to sort of the like yoga mindfulness stuff I've been mm -hmm. doing this year, I test ran a bunch of yoga apps. And the one that I kept coming back to is like the simplest one. It's called Down Dog and it's free. And you select like what level of yoga you want to do. So I want to do an intermediate practice for 45 minutes and it remixes the postures every time you come um, mm -hmm. so that you're not doing the same routine over and over. So it feels more like a yoga class where you don't really know what's going to come next. Um, I think the cues are really good and really specific. If you've never done yoga before, it's a good place to start because it's free and because it cues you very specifically into each posture and it doesn't rely on you knowing what it means to get into down dog. It tells you like where to put your hands and where to put your feet. And there's a human on screen doing that thing. Um, so for my home practices, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't see him. I don't have anything related to fitness or whatever <laughs> uh, of mindfulness or being smart about taking care of yourself. I don't really have anything along those <laughs> lines. It's kind of sad, actually. Um, you know, uh, where do I want to go here? I'm not really sure. You know, did you uh, have any this? like? Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, everyone, I, people have heard me talk about Libby all year, and it, mm. I, I'm sort of tongue in cheek because they're a sponsor, but no, but I really do use them all the time, but. 
the other killer thing I started using in combination with my library. So I do I do physical print, audio, and ebook through my library and through you know I'm a very sort of um, polyamorous uh, format <laughs> person. Um, and so, but one thing that really helped me get some sense of my library and how to use it and build it into my reading acqui- material acquisition was there's a, there's an, a Chrome extension, uh, Chrome the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just called the library extension. I'll find it and put a link in the show notes. But basically, what it does is layer on top of a bunch of the places you might go look at book titles. So it works on Goodreads, it works on Barnes and Noble, it works on Amazon, and if you sign up. And give and tell it what your local library system is. It will pop up a little window in the web page, not a pop over or anything like that. But there'll be a little box that says whether or not your library has it, how many copies they have, and how many are available. And then you can pop through and click on it and go put it on hold right there. Um, so if you're trying to save some money from buying books online, especially, and you want to use your library system, that's a really easy way to make sure they're there. I actually find also that browsing my library system is easier if I'm going through Amazon because their search is so much better. So if I don't really quite remember the name of the title or whatever else it might be, Amazon search will work work way better than whatever my library system uses in its search. And frankly, better than Libby's search, which is fine, but Amazon, like they have machine learning and they do all the stuff that like a big time tech company does. So that's a twofer. You do Libby plus the Chrome library extension. I don't think it's available for any other browser. I'm sorry to say, um, but one of the reasons I still mostly live in Chrome, I have to say, is because that library extension works there. And we live in books and are clicking on titles all the time. And so if I see something, I can just easily pop in, put a hold on it without having to go through the rigmarole of like going to the, to the library website, logging in again, doing a search then. It's just all right there. So that's a, that's, a, that's a time saver. That's a money saver. And it's just fun to do it that way as well. So... That's my that, that's my that's my uh, that's my version of a meditation combo. I have to say, that's all I've got. That's all I've got. The best save you a little stress. Oh man, I think I talked about it on all the books, but I've been listening to Bored and Brilliant by Manoush Zomorodi. Ah. Um, and the book and Jeff, this should go on your productivity audio. It is. It's also, there. It's, it's on product, my list. It's like a productivity plus self help audiobook by a woman of color, which they are mm. hard to find. Hard to find. Uh, and it's built around a challenge that she did. She hosts a show, a podcast called Note to Self, and she did this challenge, I think, in 2015 that was just a week long, and each day there was a different task related to like spending less time on your phone. Um, and the book is built around spending less time on your phone and thereby creating more moments in your life where you're not just distracting yourself so you can actually be bored um, and let your mind wander and do creative work and just see what happens. Um, But one of the things that she talks about in the book is um, tracking your use of your phone and she Mm. recommends for iPhones. It's a moment, it's an app called Moment. For Androids, it's an app called Break Free. Um, And so I put the Moment app on my phone and it it did, like if you pay three ninety nine for the premium version of it, it's a one time shot. Uh, it detects how much screen time you're spending, but also how many times you just unlock your phone to see what's happening on it in a day, um, which to me has been truly horrifying. Uh, like I get notifications. Yeah, that's like, look, phone, that's but, like looking in your kitchen sink, right? Like yeah, you know it's right. bad, but you don't know how bad it is. Like right, exactly. Like my phone buzzes. There. I. It lives in silent or on airplane mode, but I get a buzz whenever there's a text. Like some, I I am notified when there is something that happens on my phone that's worth looking at. And yet, like every fifteen or twenty minutes, according to this app, I pick up my phone and unlock it, like just to make sure. 
Um, and then you can see, it tells you then the specific amount of time that you spend in each app. So you can see how you're spending your screen time. Um, you can also tell it which apps to ignore. So like if I spend an hour listening to Audible, that doesn't go into my overall usage because it's not actually screen time. I'm like, those are my ears. It's cool. Um, but it's been really enlightening. Um, so I'll put the moment app, I guess, on this list. I both love sure. it and hate it for <laughs> aware for, for awareness, but I'm feeling like it, it gives you graphs, you get analytics. And so it tells you like this week you had this much less screen time than last week or this percent fewer pickups than last week. And that's kind of satisfying to be like, yes, I'm doing it. Um, so I've been liking that. I should have transitioned from the down dog app into our final sponsor. So I'm going to go. Yeah, there let's do it. Let's do the last sponsor. Now um, we've got dogs. Bark. Yes. Speaking of dogs, just pretend that we did that smoothly. Uh, we have BarkBox this week. BarkBox for humans. Uh, it's a delivery service that brings four to six natural treats and super fun toys that are curated around a surprise theme each month. For your dog, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. It's really simple. You tell them how big your dog's bark is. Is it small and cute, zero to 20 pounds? Is it just right, 20 to 50 pounds? Or like Millie, the basset hound who lives with me, is it big and bold at 50 plus pounds? You choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. You can cancel at any time. Shipping is always free. And then you get BarkBox. The box is shipped on the 15th of each month. Every month, BarkBox Paw picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs. Uh, you can also toggle it if your dog has allergies or if your dog is a heavy chewer. You can indicate that preference so you'll get toys that are harder to destruct. All of the edible treats are made in the U.S. or Canada, and 100% of them are tested uh, on BarkBox's own animals. And it's just a great way to find a variety of treats and toys that are many times from lo uh, local and small businesses that you might not have otherwise found. There's a theme for each one. They sent me one for Millie, and it was a like fall snuggly kind of thing. So she got a couple treats that one was like an apple pie flavored something. Um, one of the stuffed animals was a little hedgehog wearing like a buffalo plaid jacket with a bunch of fur around the collar and he looked very cozy and Millie took him out into the backyard and snuggled with him. Uh, so you get the cute theme. You get these unique toys that will keep your dogs engaged and happy. And if your dog doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox will replace it with something that they'll love for free because they're all about dog happiness. Here's the thing I really love about BarkBox is that when your dog falls in, the notes say Rove. When your dog falls in Rove with something from the box, <laughs> you can easily find it again on BarkShop.com or use the BarkBox app or text them to be like, oh my gosh, this one treat, my dog went bananas for it. I can't find them at my local pet store and they will BarkBox will help you find that thing and keep your dog happy. Um, I was really pleased with the box that we got from BarkBox, mainly because Millie was really pleased mm. with it. And she uh, she's old and cranky and she can be kind of picky. Um, so I loved this. BarkBox is shipped right to your door. It's really unique. If you go to BarkBox.com slash BookRiot and select a six or 12 month plan, you'll get one month free. Um, I think if you do as we do in my house, purchase holiday gifts for the dog. We call it Santa Paws. Um, this would be, you know, a good a little late gift now that we're after the holidays when you're listening to this. But give your dog a little holiday gift or sign up for a couple of months, see how it goes. So that's BarkBox.com slash BookRiot. We'll get you one month free on a six or 12 month plan. And thanks to them for sponsoring. All right, let's do a little speed round. And then we got we owe the people some origin talk. Uh, here we do. Before too long. Um I'm going with some uh, 
Well, you know what? Speaking of dogs, speaking of dogs. <laughs> what is this uh, going to be? <laughs> so there, the animation, there's an animation studio that's based here in Portland called Laika, which I'm given to understand is the Russian word for dog. Um, but anyway, they had an exhibition uh, at the Portland Art Museum. They are the studio behind Kubo and the Two Strings, Paranorman, Coraline, The Box Trolls, uh, all movies that came out in the last 10 years or so. And so this, it's a two-for recommendation. I don't know if this exhibit is traveling, but what it is is basically they're putting on display what it goes into them making a movie. And they create hundreds, thousands of stop-motion figures and sets and then blend that with 3D rendering <laughs> on a computer to make these movies. And if you like animation or you just like art or process or people who are crazy, obsessive about one thing, um, the movies are worth watching on their own. Kubo came out last year. My kids loved it. It's like, I know Pixar is the hotness and everyone's like, Pixar, Pixar, Pixar. But Leica does something different animation. It's a little bit darker. Um, you know, there are things that happen that would never happen in a Pixar movie and it just feels different. But the exhibit itself, you know, you forget sometimes. Uh, Michelle and I always like to watch the credits of movies to look for interesting names, but also to remind like, the thousands of people that go into a big production. And this was really putting on display. Like once you see like a hundred little figures of the same character lined up with each with slightly different facial uh, expressions so that they can put them all together to make it. It was really great. It was fun with kids too, but I would have gone without the kids. It just so happens that they liked it as well. So if it's touring, if you see it come to an art museum near you, the like exhibition, I highly recommend it. Or if you find yourself in Portland, uh, go to it. I think it's here through May. Um, and then if you can't do either of those two things, go check out Kubo and the Two Strings, um, which is a, an animated film. Get on the highest definition screen you can get uh, and treat yourself to that. Um, so that's Leica. Um, Coraline, I think, was their breakout one because that was their adaptation of the Neil Gaiman. Mm. I guess it's a middle grade book, mm-hmm. um, which I haven't seen that yet, but uh, I'm going to after seeing the exhibition. Um, let's see. I was going to go. I had I had a bridge off that. I can't remember. Uh, oh, Dogs animation go. creativity. I don't know. You you go. Then I'll come back. I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, a podcast that I loved this year. Okay, um, is I've Free got one Cookies, of those next too. Yep. Hosted by Catherine Budig, who is a yoga instructor and wellness expert, also the daughter of a former University of Kansas chancellor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weird connection there. Um, she hosts it with her girlfriend Kate Fagan, who is a sports writer who now appears on ESPN's Around the Horn, and uh, had a book out this year called What Made Maddie Run. Uh, and so the the show is about sports, the world of sports and the world of wellness and sort of intersections between the two. Um, And each week they give you a free cookie, which is a tip related to um, health, wellness, activity, something like that, because uh, they span, like there's some interesting overlap, but a lot of difference between the worlds that they occupy. And then each week they have a special guest on. Uh, And those people, they've had Tony Reale from ESPN. They had Jessamyn Stanley, uh, who's a really cool uh, figure in the world of yoga right now and had a book out this year called Everybody Yoga. They've had people on who created interesting workouts. They had a guy on who founded um, To Write Love on Her Arms, which is an organization that combats suicide. Really interesting, sort of wide-ranging show, and it's fun. They're just fun to listen to. Um, Podcasts hosted by two women are not that common, and um, especially in the world of sports 
Mm. Uh, so I really love it. I like Kate Fagan a whole lot. I was not familiar with Catherine Budig as a host of anything before, though I knew of her as a yoga person. And I just think it's sort of all around great. You get good information. Uh, they're fun to listen to. You get little tidbits from their relationship with each other and just their life as normal people. Um, it's a lot of fun. So that's free cookies. And I think the second season is coming back pretty soon. Um, I have a podcast recommendation too. This is a rare one where I'm going to recommend something I haven't listened to. This is weird. Oh. Um, but it, um, it's also a cheat because season two of More Perfect uh, is out now. I haven't started listening to it yet, but I did listen to season one, which is a spinoff show of Radio Lab, which is the big NPR behemoth um, about technology, but they've, they've branched out recently. But More Perfect, um, I think especially coming out of the Merrick Garland nonsense whenever that was, two years ago, they decided to do a short-run series uh, focusing on the Supreme Court, stories about the history of the Supreme Court, individual justices, cases that made it to the Supreme Court. I think season two, there's a little more about the law writ large and not just Supreme Court cases, but season one was a was a six-episode season. I listened to it, all six of them, then they're like an hour long, on a trip to and from Seattle last summer. Whoa. And I think... And I listen to a lot of audio documentary podcast series. I think at this at this particular moment in time, uh, More Perfect is the best of breed. It's the best in terms of storytelling, historical information, production value, interest. They just have it all dialed in, especially on episode, uh, season one of More Perfect. I, I don't have I've I've kept weirdly. I, I don't know if spoilers are a thing. I don't know what I don't want to know what even what the episodes are about for season two of More Perfect. I just want to know that it's there. Um, and I'm not sure when I'm going to get to it. I, I maybe a plane. Uh, that's kind of what I, I'm waiting for a place where I could could use um, something to mow down six to ten hours of audio time. But I'm really looking forward. It's a, it feels good just having my back pocket. Do you do that? Like I haven't seen this thing. I haven't read this book. I you know like it's there and it's ready. Um, so that's mm-hmm. one I'm anticipating in a 2017 thing into my 2018. That's more perfect from uh, the folks that brought you Radio Lab. Do you recommend doing that all in one go? Like, is that the way to encounter you don't, that? You know, they're not related. I mean, the episodes are discreet from each other, so it's not like a serial situation. Um, but if you could also treat it like a long, like an audiobook. You could do it that way. Think of it as a, an audiobook about the Supreme Court with production values and live interviews and things you're just never going to get from audiobooks. So you could treat it that way, too. But it's fantastic. It's, Interesting. It's, it's so good, it makes me mad as someone who's producing an audio <laughs> documentary series. I'm like, God Darn it, this is frustratingly <laughs> awesome. Maybe so I'll do it and I'll just treat it as like a six hour audiobook. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, ter- I'm a terrible podcast listener. I think we've talked about this, but I will mm. listen to like a dozen episodes of a show and then be like, okay. And then I get like sidetracked off listening to an audiobook or a different podcast. And then I'm like, oh, that one podcast I liked. But I just well, this would, much- this would do well for you because it's, you know, the seasons are short and you don't have to like keep up with it week after week. You're going to get six episodes, I, I don't know, once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like your favorite TV show. You're like getting another season of Halt and Catch Fire all at once. And yeah. then it's over for a while and you can let it go and then nice. pick it back up when it comes yeah. back. A podcast I've been just dipping in and out of because it, I think it really depends on the guests is Oprah has brought her Super mm. Soul Sundays idea, which I think is a show that airs on Oprah's television network. Um, I've encountered like video snippets of it on the internet for the last few years, but she's brought it to podcast. And sometimes the guests are people who are right in my wheelhouse. So like you, I could, I have recently listened to Oprah talk with Brene Brown uh, or Oprah talks with Elizabeth Gilbert about creativity and about going through difficult transitions in life or Oprah talking to Cheryl Strayed um, and interviewing them 
about uh, like there's all these interesting intersections of you know contemporary womanhood and politics and feminism and wellness and uh, family issues and relationships and friendship and just like vulnerability and living in the world and it's it just rings when it's a good episode for me it rings a ton of my bells and um, there are already a bunch of episodes in there they just launched the podcast recently so you could go and kind of scroll through iTunes and see um, what the familiar names are that you definitely want to listen to or pop in and out of. Uh, shows with folks that you maybe haven't heard of. Like I like it that you can see who they're interviewing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ah, oh, that person doesn't really ring my bells. I'll just skip that one. But um, for a good like 30 minute injection of inspiration, it's kind of hard to do worse than, or hard mm-hmm. to do better than like Oprah talking to someone else who's also amazing. Um, I'm going to do two physical goods and these are going to my, my end and we'll get to origin if you have something else too. But like if okay. you get, if you get a, if you get a gift card, for Christmas or you get a credit, you, you, you want to go shopping for yourself. That's a thing people do after the holiday season. I got two picks for you. On the lower end of the spectrum, I've been using this pen and I bought another one. I've got one on my desk at home, which I'm looking at right now. And I've got one at my desk at work. And look, I'm not a huge pen person, but I'm enough of a pen person to talk about a pen. That's what that's where I am. If you <laughs> need to put me on your hierarchy of... Um, uh, calligraphy uh, obsessives. But this one is the Oto Needlepoint. It's O-H-T-O. It's a Japanese pen company. Um, it's like 12 bucks. It's a, it's, it's a ballpoint pen. I think it's a 0.5 millimeter tip, but it is great for a very affordable, you know, if, if you're the kind of person that uses the Bic, you know, you get 25 of them at once, I wish I were you, you know, go for that. Uh, but if you don't want to buy a $50, $100 really fancy pen, this is $12 ones. feels good in the hand. You can get refills. I, I liked it so much I bought 12 of them. They come in fun colors. Mine's a very mine's a very muted um, orange, which I like, so that I can pick it out from the other pens in my drawer. I keep it on my big notepad that I keep on the desk here for all kinds of talking on the phone, just sort of capture stuff. Um, so that's, that's that. So if you want that, if you're looking to spend a little bit more than that, Probably the tech item I use more than my computer and my phone. The only other thing is in my Apple AirPods, which are these wireless earbuds. You may have seen it around. They don't look particularly fetching. They're like these little weird, you know, they're little stems that you put in your ear, basically. They're basically the shape of the the headphones that come with a iPhone, but with no cords. Um, They're a Bluetooth Plus kind of system that's meant to integrate with Apple iPhone you can switch them on and off really easily. They have a great mic. Um, I listen to music on them. I listen to podcasts on them. I take calls on them. I can leave my phone and walk around. Um, often when I, I'm on a conference call with Rebecca and Clint and some of our people at BookRite, I'm wandering around the office with my AirPods on so I can pace and think and do things like that. Or I'm doing like night. They they live in my pocket. They come in this great case that also charges them. Um, I, I love them. They're $169, so they're a little bit spendy. But if you spend a lot of time with with uh, listening to audio or doing calls, I, I think they're fantastic. They're a great, great gift, um, which maybe this would have been helpful to people, you know, say a, a month ago. Um, but they're well worth it. And I've, I've had them for a year. People think, well, they're not connected. You're going to lose them. I've never lost them. The battery life is good. They're super simple. Keep them with you. They're great. I, I love them. I, I got them in January of last year, and I use them every day. So there's my recommendation there. And I'm out. I'm done. Woo! Take I don't home. have like an. 
I don't think I have a new physical good, but since you were talking about like convenience and quality, mm. I was thinking um, I've had this travel bag for a couple of years that I love. That's a weekender um, duffel bag from Everlane. Mm. And it's like Everlane uh, sources all of their goods ethically and transparently. And you can see on the website exactly like what factories these things are made in and how much of the money from it goes back to the workers and how much profit Everlane is making. So I really appreciate the business model there. But this weekender bag, I've had it for, I think, I think I've had it for like three or four years now because I've literally taken it all over the world. Um, minus suede, you can get them in canvas as well. I think it's like 150 bucks maybe, um, but it is the perfect size for shoving into overhead compartments, but also you don't have to skimp on what you're packing. So like I can now pack for a five or seven day business trip in this thing. Like you toss in a couple pairs of shoes, a couple pairs of jeans, your yoga pants, uh, some sweatshirts. Like I, ca- I carry that. It has shoulder straps. So you do like, if you need a roller bag in an airport, this is not the thing for you. Um, but it, like I toss that over my shoulder and a backpack with my laptop in it when I travel and it's just perfect. Um, fits everything that I need, uh, has little pouches where you can store stuff. I've given a few of them as gifts to people, but, um, if you travel enough to care about like not having to do the check your baggage shuffle and ever worry if things are going to get to where you're going, um, or maybe you just like to go on short trips, especially this thing has served me very well. When it dies, I'll just buy another one. Um, but I don't think it's going to die anytime soon. So that's my Everlane weekender. And I think my only other like random thing is I really loved Chrissy Teigen's cookbook this year called Cravings. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like I love Chrissy Teigen like for a million reasons, but she put out a cookbook. It's hilarious. Like the writing in the cookbook is really fun, but it is delicious. Um, the recipes aren't super difficult, but they're really tasty. And John Legend makes some appearances with some of his favorite recipes. When I was taking yoga teacher training, Bob was in charge of cooking dinner in our house on Saturday nights and we didn't want to like sacrifice quality because he's not as experienced of a cook um, as I am. And he just went into the Chrissy Teigen cookbook and picked out stuff that I hadn't cooked yet and started making it. And uh, it was it was great. Everything that I co- have cooked out of it has been great. If you're looking for a New Year's gift or like a hostess gift, maybe for mm. a party that you're going to, I've given it a couple times. It's called Cravings. Um, it's great, really fun and tasty. So Dan Brown. All right. If you don't want to hear, <laughs> that's we're not talking about anything else. You're not going to miss anything. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You gone? Are you gone? You guys that don't want to listen to this? You don't have to go home, I'm you can't stay here. You, you can't stay here. All right. We haven't talked about this together. Have we? No. Have we, just passing, like, just passing. I, like, I read it the day that it came out, and then yeah. you waited, and, that, you know, I had to wait. Got it from the library. Um, well, I guess the top-level thing is I think, I think it's now the third best Dan Brown. That's where I put it. And our mutual ranking is Angels and Demons, then the Da Vinci Code. I would do Da Vinci Code one only for the that that's the one people know. Like if ah, you're going to okay. do one, I say do Da Vinci Code. Mm. Um, I think Angels and Demons is better. It might it might be better. I don't know. The opening scene of Da Vinci Code is like it's it's so <laughs> addictive and interesting and also impossible and dumb. That if actually, if you're only going to want to read one Dan Brown scene, read the opening to Da Vinci Code and you'll know when it's over and that's it. You, you, you get a taste, you get kind of everything you need. It's, it's, a, the, it's a Dan Brown reduction is what it's that is. It's just the right best there. blurb and in the best possible way, I think, for Dan Brown books. Yeah. <laughs> right I mean, there. look, and this is all of this is coming out of non-ironical affection. 
all of this. People don't believe us. I don't know what to tell you because this is what just an ironical affection would sound like saying the same thing. So it's like, you can't get out of it. It's like saying, it's like saying I'm not lying. Okay. Good luck right. with that one. Um, so anyway, that being said, so anyway, what, if we want to flip one or two at the top, but I think this is solidly third for me. Does that sound right to you or how do you yep, feel about that? I agree. I yeah. agree. Um, I loved angels and demons and I love the Da Vinci code. And then I really didn't like the lost symbol. I thought Inferno yeah. was good, but this felt like, a Dan Brown book. Like it just has this outsized villain. It has this outsized sort of big figure um, mm-hmm. who's like an Elon Musk kind of character, the the main guy who has who thinks he has discovered the origin, like where we came from and yep. like what it, what it all means, why we're all here. Um, and I just I love that. There's so much art. I think Dan like I think Dan Brown really is winking at himself in this mm-hmm. book. Like there's more of, there's more of a sense of humor in this Dan Brown book about what a Dan Brown book is. Like Robert Langdon gets all cranky that most of the story revolves around, mo- or that a chunk of the story revolves around modern art. And yes. Robert Langdon, like <laughs> he just likes the old things, man. He doesn't like modern art. He doesn't get it. He thinks it's weird and ugly. And, um, you could just feel that Dan Brown had fun being like, now we're going to make Robert Langdon deal with yeah. modern art. <laughs> Right. <laughs> there's there's AI like it it's just I just thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess the thing that keeps it from cracking the top 2 is I wish Langdon had more to do. There's a lot of him yeah. standing around not knowing what's happening. He doesn't get to do Robert Langdon things very much like there's a couple times, but it's it's not like like the Da Vinci Code is the best example where it's like the world is littered with cultural puzzles that he needs to be solved. And there's a lot more of this one of him kind of getting, it feels like he's on rails through the story and he doesn't mm-hmm. have as much like agency with it. But, you know, so that's fine. But like you can see from the beginning, I don't know if Dan Brown just thinks this way or he's writing this way knowing it's going to be made into a movie. But the whole uh. opening section of like Langdon with a headpiece in listening to this AI bot talk to him through the Bilbao Guggenheim, which is a beautiful museum. I've been there, was there. Michelle and I were there 15 years ago now. But, and, and it's a big gala. You can really see it. I can almost see it on the on film as, mm-hmm. you're, as you're doing it. And the location yeah. descriptions are really great. Um, it's set in Spain. Um, and I think you're right. There is a certain amount of this Dan Brown book that's about Dan Brown books. Because uh, mm-hmm. we did, again, spoilers. This is spoiler talk. So again, I, uh, this is your last warning. But, like, we get the misdirection of, like, we think it's going to be the Catholic Church people, but it's not, right? Right. You know, it's the classic one is Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code. It's the church people. Um, And this one is, you're set up to think it is, like, the cardinal whatever in the side of the hill and the whatever, but it's not. They're reacting to it in a different way. Um, There's that, you know, we have a slightly old... uh, You uh, you said this right away, that we have an older non-love interest like what a, we need a word for this like platonic like we it's a brownian it's a brownian uh, paramour i don't even know what you say it's like well a i brownian mean some of them, though, cons- they, it's a like, consort the langdon consort, is, a consort is a little bit older mm-hmm. um and feels more right she's not like though, right she's not like 22 with a ponytail yeah. <laughs> right right um and so that part was interesting i guess also in a way in which you know, Langdon, it, it's weird that Brown doesn't really let Langdon figure it out until it's too late mm-hmm. in this. Um, kind of the the bad guy, A, isn't really a bad guy, and B, they get away with it, which is different. Yeah, it's a different... Down Brown. It is a different kind of... It's not so much like Robert Langdon saves the day. 
mm-hmm. as like, here's this big thing to untangle and he untangles it, but there are, are elements of it, like the discovery that now, I can't remember now what the the scientist, the Elon Musk type guy, yeah, I don't, but the yeah, discovery it, it, Elon, that his name I think is Milan Usk. Like <laughs> yes. That. Yeah. So the discovery that Milan Usk um, has been dying of cancer anyway, yeah. and like knew that his end was coming, and that this was like this was going to be a world without him anyway. Like yeah. sort of those those moments are a little more like sobering than a lot of the moments that you get mm-hmm. in the earlier in the earlier books but somehow the stakes manage to still feel high like perhaps yeah. because he's looking at these big questions of uh, of life on earth and i love all these little science nuggets like i think this is one of the most fun things about a dan brown book is that they usually open with a page that's like ever, all of the science cited <laughs> in this book is real yes, and so right. you know that like I mean, this is what I'm shipping is that Dan Brown is like sitting at home late at night, scrolling around on the internet. And he's like in the dark net reading stuff about science that like he comes across some weird footnote somewhere. And he's like, oh, somebody did this study in the 70s with putting, you know, very basic matter into a test tube and seeing if what would happen with life. And no one's really thought about this since the 70s. And what if I made a book Mm -hmm. about it? (laughs) You know, and that like those little nuggets of things that he makes into these big stories that are so consuming, like from page one. And you're right about that opening scene of the Da Vinci Code. Like if that doesn't grab you, Dan yeah. Brown is I not going to be your flavor. It's not, yeah, not your flavor. You know, just move move along. Nothing to see here. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what some of my other reactions were. I thought the reveal of like what Milan us could actually discovered, like it was interesting, but. I, it felt to me like the obvious reveal is like this amazing AI he had invented right. was more interesting like than this simulation. I really thought the AI that that was an AI was going to be the big reveal. Like basically, you know, that oh and by the way, that thing you've been talking to in your head all day for all these guests, right. that's an AI. It's not a not guy. an actual yeah. docent or a guide or whatever that you've all been interacting with and thinking that basically passed any kind of Turing test you could ever imagine. I thought that was going to be the reveal, which I guess it could have been, but instead it's this very, like, my, my reveal was a simulation that says that humans are going to, like, meld with machines. Like, okay, I mean, I don't know. So that was a little bit weird, too. Um, I think it's <coughs> interesting to see Dan Brown, like, the secularization of the storyline from, hmm. like, religion and art to, you know, the, the, the religion being a head fake here. Um, and then really it's about science, right? I mean, it's a yeah. real more, it's more of a humanist thing. And I almost, almost think of Dan Brown, like going through his own sort of Charles Darwin transformation from like, you know, thinking about religions, like, oh my God, I discovered evolution. And what does that mean for me? Like to see Dan Brown move to like, we're talking about science, AI, human leverage in the future. We're not really talking about, well, what if Jesus had a, had, had a wife and a kid? Yeah. Right? Like it's a question of religion in this book because of the, like how this information will recast, you know, creation stories. Right. But he leaves room, he leaves room, I think, for the the religious leaders in the story to be like, to do the thing that a lot of scientists and religious leaders do today to say that science and religion can be side by side. Like you could mm-hmm. still, you can still, you can believe that a greater power created things to evolve in this way. And I think Dan Brown leaves the door open um, for some of his characters to do that and for some of his readers to do it. Like it's less, the content of the book is much less incendiary than the content of the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. And there's even a joke in 
origin where somebody like <laughs> is is kidding Robert Langdon about how the Catholic Church came for him after his book about Mary Magdalene. <laughs> like that's a nice Dan Brown referring to all the things that happened to him yes. when the Da Vinci Code came out. But I think he I think the questions, at least where I sit, Dan Brown is asking more interesting questions now. Like it's easy to write or not easy, but you know, easier to write a big book that with the premise of like, what if Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and all these things that religions have taught us aren't true. Like that's very gripping. You're going to get a lot of, it's a good soundbite. You're going to get a lot of coverage. If you write a good book around it, that's going to grab people. I think it's harder to hold people's attention when you're asking a question that is more nuanced and that's tied to something like technology and science. And it's, it was interesting to me to see Dan Brown go in that direction. Like I feel like he has more tools in his toolbox and so he can make some interesting and more nuanced things now. Yeah, that's true. I'm curious to see what the next one will be because we've had a ratcheting up of stakes from... Oh, right. I mean, say what you will about the Da Vinci Code. The stakes were actually kind of small, right? Like, okay, maybe there was proof by the night. Like, it's also insane feeling now that that was a big deal, that what if there was a kid? Like, that was a big deal. Like, a hypothetical was like, oh, my gosh. Whereas this one is much more... Well, actually, Inferno, I think the stakes were way higher because, like, it's about the population bomb and climate change sort of in a way and, like, consumption. And this one is about AI and what does it mean to be human. Um, So the stakes are pretty large. So I don't know. It's harder to get larger stakes than that. I guess it's cosmology, like, where'd the universe Mm -hmm. come from kind of stuff. Like, Dan Brown's next one is called basically Big Bang or (laughs) Black Hole or uh, Pro Quarks. Uh, I don't need chaos theory String or something theory. like that. Like there's no, beyond like human evolution and human origin, like the next thing is cosmology. If you're going up the, 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 the I don't know, the chart of scale, um, mm-hmm. what's going on after that. So that, I'd be curious to see what he does um, with that. I would kind of like to see him, I kind of like to see him have a protagonist that's, a, that's more of a straight up scientist. I was thinking about this. Like Langdon's mm-hmm. almost the wrong protagonist for this book. Um, he was the right protagonist for Angels and Demons and for uh, Da Vinci Code, but the, it felt like the protagonist of this should have been a scientist person, oh, a, Dan, a, yeah. a version of a Dan Brown book where the, the lead character is a scientist and doing sciencey things. I think would be fascinating. Yeah, I've never thought about that until this very moment, but I think I'm ready for Dan Brown to sort of go elsewhere in the universe of Dan Brown books and write other characters where maybe Robert Langdon comes in as a consultant, you know, yeah, right, <laughs> or yeah. like appears It's a team up, for, the Avengers, like from, he's the art guy and they've yeah, got a science like, guy and they've got a biologist and yeah. whatever, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think it's funny cuz like you know, um, you know Robert Langdon. I, I've joked before, sort of the MacGyver of art. Like that's kind of his <laughs> shtick, right? And it feels like Dan Brown's almost ready for like a MacGyver, MacGyver type of person. I guess MacGyver is more of a spy type person, but like, I don't know, like a female physicist, right? Who has to figure out some sort of problem. I guess. It, I guess you know what I'm writing right now. I'm writing The Martian. I just wrote The Martian. <laughs> Yes. Right? It's like a yeah, scientist yeah. having to figure it out and like I'm going to science the the S out of this like Robert Langdon I'm going to art history the S out of this that's what he does. I don't know is there anything Symbologize. else Symbologize. I don't think so. It's been it's been long enough since I read it that I only really have like the top level feelings left about it. 
There's some super it, it was, dumb plot stuff, like, you know, oh, the yeah. plane getting off. I mean. Oh, right. You know, Where you're just so like, bad. I see you, Dan Brown. Like, and some on. of those moments, too. Like, I, I think those moments are written for cinema. Like, these books do read like movies. And yeah. I think at this point, Dan Brown knows there's going to be a movie. And he's thinking about, like, what's going to play really What I'm going to give Ron Howard screen. and Tom Hanks to do, right? You yeah, know, even if it's sequence. completely ridiculous. But <laughs> at this point, I kind yeah. of appreciate appreciate the completely ridiculous about a Dan Brown book. It's like, just thank you for going there. Like, I think Dan Brown mm-hmm. has leaned back into what it is to be a Dan Brown book. Um, and yep. I, I really enjoyed it. It was also exactly what I needed. Like this fall, surrounded by a bunch of big political book releases. <laughs> like, just give me, just give me some Dan Brown. I mean, I think the most reassuring thing is I got just what I wanted out of it, out of it. Yes. Like, yeah. you know what, you know, I got a good hamburger. And it was, it's a hamburger, but it's a good hamburger. It's exactly what I wanted right now. It's like a cold beer on a hot day. Don't usually like beer, but in the right situation, the right mood, it's the right thing at the right time. Thank you, Dan Brown, for another another Bud Light. Cosign. That's our show. Uh, you can find, I don't know, what do you, what do we look, oh, people might want to, oh, we, this may be more important than other times for links. Um, I'll yes. go back through and try to find product links. You can find what we're talking about. If you want to buy it, recommend to other people, pass it along, or just see what silliness we're, we're enthused about. You can go to uh, bookriot.com slash listen, find show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast there. Uh, I, you know, if you want to send us a pod, uh, email at podcast at bookriot.com, if you've got a random pick, something you loved from this year, I sure as heck want to know about it. Oh, and if yes, we see something too. interesting and juicy, we can share it on the show. Unless you don't want us to, then tell us that. We'll be back in a week or so talking about other stuff. Um, I don't know. Have oh, we done yeah. a forward-looking show yet? We haven't, and I'm going to be... We, well, we have... I think we have next week off. Oh, maybe we have um, next week off. Yeah. And then Jen will be here for the first show yep. of 2018 because I'll be on vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe so Jen maybe and we'll I will do, do a 2018 look books. Yeah. Thing, she's for get book. She's doing a lot of forward looking stuff for then too. Lib wrote a big, um, was it 101 books to look forward to in 2018? It was big. Yeah. Um, a lot. A couple of weeks ago for Many. this site. And I might be using that <clears throat> to do some homework on. For my for my looking head, <laughs> though I do a lot of the title prospecting for ad sales here, so I know more these days. I know more about future looking books than I, I did I once did for sure. So I've got a couple on my list for that. Um, thanks to our sponsors, uh, Reckless, the Petrified Flesh. Thanks to Ginny Moon by Benjamin Ludwig, and thanks to Barkbox. You can find links to all that stuff in the show notes as well. Go check those things out. Rebecca, have a happy holiday, and I'll talk to you in the new year. You as well. All right. Have a good one.